Welcome to As the Story Grows, I'm Brian Patton. Today I'm stoked to share my chat with Mike Maines from Mike Maines and the Branches. Mike's new record, Memory Unfixed, is out this Friday, September 15th via Tooth & Records. Mike talks about the influence of radio in helping his band, capturing the human experience in song, fulfilling his dreams, the theology of hell, and more. This is honestly one of my favorite conversations I've had this year. I've been a fan of The Branches for a long time, and Memory Unfixed is an incredible record, so don't miss out. If you like As the Story Grows and wish there were more episodes, join the Patreon community where you get early access to every episode, oftentimes weeks before they're released to the general public. A link is in the show notes. Enjoy today's chat with Mike Maines. How's it going? It's going great. Going great. Thanks for hanging out this morning. Yeah, of course. Yeah, nice. I have been uh, listening to your band since I was one of those people who discovered you through Radio U and uh, hearing stereo on Radio U. Yeah, man. So so I, we, we go way back, man. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. Thank you for listening all these years. Yeah, I, yeah it's, it's always encouraging when I hear folks that have been with us since like that era because cause sometimes i wonder <laughs> i don't know if, if anyone still cares so that's yeah really encouraging yeah sometimes you're like put that era behind us too right <laughs> uh, i i i went i felt that way for a while and now i i'm just grateful i don't know yeah. and, and i think too to Man, I mean that's like ten ten years and, and counting maybe maybe more. So I'm I'm like man, if we've been able to keep people interested for that long, hopefully I'm doing something right. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. What uh what led you guys to be on Radio U and then TVU? And- <laughs> I think we probably play. I think played like a festival in Ohio when we first started. And then I think they, someone that was a part of the network saw the band and then invited us to, to be on the show. And we've just, Nikki Cantu from Radio U um, was just an absolute angel. And she's yeah. somebody that I've stayed in really close contact with ever since the early days of Radio U. And I mean, anytime we're looking at, going to radio outside of radio you i'm always asking for her advice um so she she feels very much like a a big sister to me nice. <laughs> she's really a really beautiful and kind person nice yeah they had like a lot of influence for a while where they could like put these smaller bands on the map who might otherwise go unnoticed <laughs> yeah very much so then <laughs> Radio is weird, but but I I'll say it. I mean, our biggest audience, like our our biggest draw, if if you will, is Columbus, Ohio, and it also happens to be 
where Radio U, one of their locations is, and they pump a lot of work into spreading awareness about the band. So radio works. You know, if you have people behind your band that really believe in it, radio changes everything. So I'm grateful for them. Nice, nice. Let's go back in time, man. Where'd you grow up? Oh, man. Uh, Born in Denver, Denver, Colorado, and then primarily Michigan. My folks moved to Michigan and uh, split up, I want to say around the time I was four. Mm -hmm. Then I lived with my aunt and uncle until I was about 15, um, all around the Michigan, state of Michigan and predominantly like Battle Creek, Marshall, Michigan, which is like an hour and a half outside of Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, graduated high school in northern Michigan in this tiny little farm town called mm-hmm. McBain, Michigan. Um, and then I spent about a year in Texas from the time I was 21 until I was about 22, and that's where I started the band. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. It sounds like it was uh, quite a traumatic childhood. Or oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm learning whether you grow up in this like perfect nuclear family or you have an upbringing like mine. Everybody, everybody has scars, mm-hmm. and I think I'm I'm learning to embrace them and and be grateful um, for the for the healing process. You yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely comes with age where you can find things to appreciate or just find things to overcome. Yeah. I'm I'm really I'm a big fan of stoicism and Ryan Holiday. Um he's got he's got this book I just finished called The Obstacle is the Way. And so it's the whole idea that people that typically flourish greet adversity with a smile as opposed to sort of wallowing and self-pity and wondering why this is happening to me, which is what I do still. <laughs> uh, but that idea, that concept of the obstacle is a way, or how can I use this painful experience that happened to me as, as fuel for the fire and then re redirect that energy into something constructive. Um, yeah. It's it's really fun to talk about and it's really, really hard to do. Yeah. For sure. Well, what in all that in your childhood, like what got you into music? Oh, uh, I think the, the escapism of, of music, I wouldn't have called it that then I didn't realize that I was disassociating (laughs) from, from an otherwise really traumatic experience. Uh, but listening, one of one of my most, I would say, sacred memories and golden memories are the summers I spent in Coldwater, Michigan, on my grandmother Maxine's farm, <clears throat> and she was always listening to Johnny Cash and Dolly Parton while she was cooking breakfast in the morning, and she would always make sausage biscuits and gravy, and so I just have these vivid memories of her in the kitchen. Johnny Cash or George Strait or Garth Brooks or Dolly Parton or Willie Nelson kind of pouring out of the speakers in the kitchen, the scent of biscuits and gravy kind of filling the house. And those, I think the way that my grandma was just so kind and loving towards me as well as those old country songs that they just kind of took me somewhere else. Mm -hmm. It was almost like putting my 
head on a kite and letting it float up and blow into whatever new world the song was taking me. And I, I fell in love with it really, really quickly and never, never looked back. Yeah. Is that what kind of drew you to guitar and like, not that you're a singer songwriter, but like being like a songwriter? Yeah. Um, yes. Over the long term, it definitely was. I, I initially fell in love with drums. I'd always wanted to be a drummer. And then I had a teacher in fourth grade who was also a drummer. And at the end of the school year, I was always like tapping on my, my desk in class. And at the, during my birthday that year, he had these drumsticks that he would play throughout the the day throughout the class. He would almost like use them as a teaching instruction for math because he was he saw rhythm through the lens of mathematics, which I thought was interesting because I still suck at math, but I was decent at drums. But he he gave me his drumsticks, That's and that made a huge impression on me. It was like I don't know. Uh, someone giving me a, a gold medal or something, or this like key that unlocks a door to my musical journey. And so I, I ended up, my dad wouldn't let me play drums in, in high school, um, was super anti-music to begin with. He kind of had this, like, you're going to be a farmer. And I was like, not a chance in hell. Dude. <laughs> um, and uh, so the, the school kind of knew about that. And, you know, the superintendent, principal, et cetera. But they kind of worked out this arrangement where they weren't going to tell my dad <laughs> that I was in jazz band playing drums. And God bless the band director, Mr. Buckley, at the time, because I would get off the school bus in the mornings and bolt into the, the band room and set up this old 70s Ludwig and beat the absolute snot out of it. And this guy's it's seven fifteen in the morning and I'm, I'm doing this right next door to his office and he never complained. He was always so kind. And he, most of the students thought he was a jerk, but he, I don't know, maybe he just saw something in me or realized that music was my medication. And so he's really supportive, but so drums were my, my first love. And then eighth, ninth grade rolled around um and i was writing a lot of poetry and then you you know you your high schools like publish poems and you know the state book or, or whatever and i started winning a few different awards or prizes and um i did a i think it was the end of my eighth grade year i had to sing for this vocal choir class i was in and my exam was to sing a song and i sang drops of jupiter Hmm. And uh, everyone in the class said, dude, you're, you've got an amazing voice. And so I was like, melody, poetry, words and melody? Okay. <laughs> uh, and then the, I was too intimidated to learn guitar, so I started with bass. Okay. And, and then when I was probably 15, 16 is when I started messing around and learning Nirvana songs and Blink-182 songs. And I, it was all secondhand because I had a buddy, Shane Roosevelt, who was like in proper guitar classes. So he would learn some really cool new song by Blink-182, and then I would learn it from him. <laughs> um, and then I just started writing songs from, from there. Um, and 
only now do I feel like I'm actually getting a, a proper musical education. Like I'm studying the piano and studying guitar and really seeking to, to become an excellent musician. I feel like my songwriting is here and my musicianship is, is down here. <laughs> and, uh, um, as a producer, I, I, I feel like the best way I can serve the artists that I work with is, is, is being the best musician I can be as well. So that's a long winded answer to your question, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It works. What led to the formation of this band? Did it kind of form out of a solo project or? Yeah, I let's see when I was 19. So I'd, again, I'd kind of been on my own since around 16, 15, 16. And after, after high school, I, I'd had a band that was that I started probably my 11th grade year of high school and that fizzled out about a year after I was out of high school. I was really strung out on drugs and living a really kind of debaucherous, foolish lifestyle. It was essentially like overextended adolescence, welcome week at college, but every day of my life was welcome week. Um, and I, I walked away from that band. I walked away from music. I walked away from everything. I gave away all my guitars and um, had this really kind of profound spiritual experience, got connected to this church in Owasso, Michigan, <clears throat> and didn't have anything to do with, with music for probably a year and a half. I was like, I'm going to be a preacher or something. You know, like I, I literally thought I was done with music and I was going to go into ministry. It's like that when I hear about Jack White trying to decide if he was going to be a priest or a musician. <laughs> and he, I feel like even God was like, you made the right choice. Right. <laughs> um, uh, I, I just picked up the guitar after I hadn't played it in, in almost two years. And um, I wrote, I wrote a song for, I think it was my pastor's wife's birthday and um, I wrote it, wrote and recorded that song and just had a bunch of songs that I had written over the years. And a friend of mine uh, from church demoed all of them for me. And he, and he just pulled me aside and he said, dude, you are, you're a thief. It's like, what do you mean? I'm a thief. He's like, you have a gift that I haven't seen in a lot of people. Um, and you are doing a disservice to to people by not sharing your your music and your songs with the world. So that really lit lit the fire. Um, and then from there, I had I wouldn't say like a falling away with the church, but I just had some some traumatic things happen there that led me to really wanting to, to kind of get away from the scenario and and gained some fresh perspective on my life and um, my sister was living in Gainesville, Texas at the time working at Windstar World Casino. So I packed up my car, gotten, got down to Texas, got a job at a casino and started writing lyrics on my little notepad that I kept so I could have information while I was cashing out old ladies like <laughs> slot machine jackpots you know i'd have to write down their info so i could go and get get their money and then you know these security guards would follow me well i had like thirty thousand dollars i'm given this lady who's chain smoking virginia slims and i thought well man if if she can come in here and 
make 30 grand, you know, throwing a hundred dollar bill into a slot machine. I feel like my odds at making a living at music are, have got to be better than this. <laughs> so, and, and I was working the graveyard shift. I was working like nine o'clock at night until six or seven in the morning. I'd come home and sleep for a few hours. And, um, I, if I didn't feel inspired to write, I'd just watch movies all day, take a nap and then go back to work. Or if I felt inspired, I would, I would write. And then the drummer um, I met who was playing at the church, playing drums for the church I went to, his dad was a pastor of the church. And then his best friend uh, was a killer bass player. And then Shannon lived up in Michigan and she's kind of, I've always been my editor. And so I, I was just sending her songs and she'd be like, ah, oh, that one sucks. That one's cool. That one sucks. Um, it was a lot of that. This song isn't very good. And, um, and we just, we started from there and we, we never looked back. I remember we were, yeah, it was Gainesville, Texas and the Dave's like 1999 Ford Explorer. And we're like, in less than two years, we're going to have a record deal and we're going to be touring all over the world. And it was about two years from that time that, we sort of woke up in Australia playing, playing festivals and it was, it was really surreal. Um, yeah, that's kind of how it all, all started. Nice. What led to the the name being Mike Maines and the branches? Yeah. Yeah. That was like, you know, in, in, in almost like a very prophetic, like old Testament sense. Um, there was a guy that used to come, he was like a traveling minister that came to the church that i i was involved with and i our band was originally called we his branches which is just the the worst band name i think <laughs> i've ever heard of but for for some reason i kept feeling like i i don't think the band name should be that and i don't know what it should be and i talked to this minister who was kind of a, a mentor to me he's like yeah it shouldn't be we as branches it should be your should be your name call it like Mike Maines and the Branches or whatever you want. And he's like, Shannon will remain, but all of the other members will be in flux. Like people are just going to come and go. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of part of the way that it's set up is for you to have musicians come and play with you and then they'll go and start their own career. And an example of that is like, we took uh, my buddy Jason Singer in this band called Michigander out on his, one of his very first tours. And now he's gone on and toured with Manchester orchestra and is absolutely killing it. And he's like the coolest little brother I could ever ask for. And he's just a, a brilliant songwriter and musician. So I'm glad that I um, did that. You know, the folks yeah. that were a, objecting to that are no longer with me so it, it, i'm glad that i went with my guns on that one
what was inspiring you musically early on like was it just kind of a natural progression of how the band formed or were there things like inspiring you as a writer when when the band first started and in some ways it remains i guess i would just the adjectives i would use to describe it would change like when the band first started i felt this it reminds me a lot of like what i hear about like you two starting where it was like they had they were a part of this um really spiritual experience in ireland um and and dublin and they felt the best way that they could honor that was to write songs that you know expressed what it meant to be human and so i we're a part of this you know this church well i, I guess backing up i'm writing songs at a casino and i'm seeing sort of like the worst aspects of humanity right people people are not for the most part going to a casino and leveraging their mortgage on a game of blackjack on the best day of their life right, right. so i'm seeing i'm seeing that and and that's bringing up all of these stories and all of this inspiration in me um at the same time i'm i'm struggling with a porn addiction and um which is kind of part of what led me to going away and getting help which you know which i, I shared with that on my socials um last december so i'm, I'm sort, of, sort of seeing people at their best and at their worst i'm experiencing this er, like addiction that i've kind of carried with me since my my early childhood and um trying to process it through music um i'd had a near suicide attempt that uh inspired um the song drifter which i wrote the morning after that um happened it was on our first album home and um so it was that and then um there was like th this part of me that was so pissed off at my dad um who you know never said i could make it i'd never amount to anything especially if i didn't do music and it was just like dude let me let me show you how wrong you are bro like i was angry at him because i felt like he'd spent his whole life playing it safe and still you know never he didn't seem happy and i just yeah. thought man if he can fail at playing it safe I'd rather fail doing what I love or, or have a chance at success, you know? And so there's like this angsty boy trying to prove my dad wrong. There's this kid struggling with an addiction and, and growing up and around this, this branch of spirituality that had a lot of shame baked into it and, and not really knowing how to, to deal with that. Um, I'm also falling in love with my best friend that uh, was one of the founding members of the band. Um, and, and so all of the songs, especially off of the first album were um, an expression of that. And then we struggled for a long time trying to figure out what the band or the, the album would be called, but home did feel like a nice, you know, bow to tie around it because Ultimately, and I, and I think this is still true for me as an artist, like um, I, have a, I have a lyric off of our upcoming album, <clears throat> Memory Unfixed. The, the first song is called Lost Boys and the lyric 
from the chorus of that song is I am a long way from who I could have been. Um, and I still feel that way. I felt that way when I made our first record, I feel that way now. And I'm, I, I think I'm, I'm learning that's part of the human experience is, is that feeling that emotion, um, and, and, and trying to hold space for it without it fully derailing you. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the inspiration in the early days. And I feel like in, in, in much the same way it still is. Nice. It's a lot of like darkness and complexity wrapped up in these like indie pop songs. Yeah, man. I mean, one of my favorite quotes is uh, Tom Waits. He said, I love beautiful melodies telling me terrible things. Yeah. Um, and that's what I've found in a lot of, you know, me without use out music. Um, I found that in Acidies Burn. I found that in a lot of kind of the emo, uh, wave of the early aughts, you know, a, a, a lot of emotional boys singing about their <laughs> daddy issues. Um, yeah, yeah. It, well, it's, uh, Pedro the Lion. I don't remember what the song is on Winners Never Quit, but he's just, it's like this poppy chorus where it's like, da, 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 da. And the song's about like murdering his wife. <laughs> it's like, yeah yeah man uh, yeah so, so fucked up <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, yeah yeah after you guys uh <laughs> after you guys did the second record you ended up doing uh audio tree live in there uh how'd that come about oh man um i think our i think they had reached out we had a friend that was um a promoter friend from Michigan, uh, Nate Durow, really amazing human being. I, I think, I can't remember if he works with Audio Tree anymore or not. Um, but he, he got that connection for us. Um, yeah, that, that was fun, but I, I look, I can't go back and watch that. Uh, yeah. when I look back on it, I get, I get cringy. I feel like I, I, I didn't perform well and I felt like I didn't sing very well. So I'm thankful to have that feather in my cap. Yeah, but also really praying that they'll let us come back and do another session in the future. <laughs> so, and then they can just take the other one off. Um, but we've had fans who really enjoy it, so I'm, I'm someone does. In the morning, over coffee. Threw my heart on the table, told you what I've done in the dark You felt far away I was gonna be a shelter Held you while you fell asleep We were in the back of my car Before you were far away now that What uh, led you guys to Tooth & Nail Records? I would say, I mean... I'm I'm a I'm a product of what I would consider kind of the 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 golden era for that for that label you know early early two thousands to to mid two thousands, um, and for me I I never really desired or thought about being on a a major album I, I would say that the idea of like how big a band could be. Um, was was it just wasn't on my radar like i i just thought it would be so cool to be on a on tooth and nail that was for the longest time the the dream label um and we just thought no one's really going to care or take us seriously until 
you know, we're out there making noise. And so we, we made our first record, um, started touring. Um, and then it felt like there, you know, we were putting on really great live shows. So there was a bit of a buzz happening around our band and then, and, um, Adam there, you know, who's been an A&R guy for tooth and nail for well over a decade now, probably, um, came and saw our show at Cornerstone. And that, that was like a Cornerstone again, like to a kid who grew up, you know, and graduated high school in, in the early two thousands, like, which is just wild to think like it's, we're talking 20, 23 years ago now. Yeah. Um, like that was Mecca, you know, like I, I think in their heyday Cornerstone is having like 70,000 people out a year. So it's like, we want to be on one of the biggest and best labels that is affiliated with like our dream festival of playing. And we went and played and the tent was empty, man, empty. Uh And then we get through like half of our first song and there's like 2000 people under the tent and Adam is standing side stage. And, you know, so that's kind of where, where it all, all started. And that was, just really, really crazy and cool. Um, and, and, but we, we never ended up like working with them on our first two albums. Um, I've always been maybe to a fault, really protective of my music rights. Like I, I own all my publishing still. Um, I own all of my masters and, um, it just took me a really long time to, to want to, um, consider parting ways with that. And so we, we created, it's like, it's basically called a licensing deal where they're essentially renting the, the rights to my music for a period of time. And I'm really grateful for them, you know, for that. Um, cause not all artists are fortunate enough to, to have that kind of a deal. And I'm, I'm grateful they were willing to do that with yeah. me. And I think at the time, like had you guys signed with calm down, it was, I don't remember if it was right before, or right after sometime in there where they part ways with EMI, Capital Christian, whatever. And like it upended the whole label yeah. and like basically every artist got dropped and it was like a rebuilding. So you're, you exist mm-hmm. in this new space where like CD sales at Christian bookstores aren't a thing. Tooth and Nail exist in this space where they could just release whatever they want and they're not beholden to a Christian market. And like there's more freedom with the label, it feels like. Yeah. Yeah, and they they seem really really supportive of you know our our mission. You know, like I I am a person who you know I I went to Italy and I went to Assisi, Italy, and I you know I would identify primarily as a Franciscan, um, and so. My faith is is a vital part of my humanity, but I've always hated the idea of commodifying someone's like worldview or religious view and like duct taping it to their to their music or their genre. So we've been really adamant about avoiding that as much as we can. Although the doors that swung wide open for us in the early days of our band, I think predominantly because of what I was writing about and singing about, um, were in that world. And as soon as that started happening, I realized, man, I, f- I feel like if I'm not careful, I'm going to climb to the top of a ladder that's besides the one I, I really want to be on. You know, if I, if I believe 
from a spiritual perspective that walking in love and walking in truth and constant forgiveness are are v- virtues that will have a healthy impact on human beings. If I'm siloing myself inside of one small demographic, I'm preventing my music from bringing healing to people who share a different worldview. And and um, this on this particular release, uh, I, I really feel that they've been very supportive of that, which has been cool. Nice. Yeah. The album is called Memory Unfixed. Uh, um, I want to talk about a specific song. Could you talk to me about uh, Losing My Head and the inspiration <laughs> behind that song? <laughs> Like, it, it just struck a chord with me as somebody who like yeah. kind of like all the shit that happened with like the 2016 election and like COVID and, and kind of yeah. coming out of lockdown uh, sober, but more agnostic than I was before. Like, yeah. It struck a chord yeah. With me, so. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. That, that's my favorite song from, from the album. Um, when George Floyd was murdered that, I mean, I, I, it just really set something off in me. And I think the response that I saw in a lot of like Christian culture, you know, I just felt was so appalling. Like Mm -hmm. as a, as a follower of Christ, um, I, I just could not just sit, sit and, and, um, I couldn't just be an observer. Like at a certain point, silence is essentially just uh, giving license. You know, you're by by being silent, you're consenting. And I I just couldn't. And I was mad as hell. Um, And I, I think too, you know, at that time during COVID, you know, we were supposed to go on the road. I was uh, kind of in the very, very like beginning stages of what was going to become a very uh, rapid and a very painful, like negative downward spiral for me. Um, and where that really began was in COVID, seeing what was happening with, the, you know, of course the election, um, and then george floyd but at the same time like the how isolated we all were at that time for me you know we had we had moved down to nashville because i had i had um really found a lot of success in writing songs for other artists and for like tvs and tv shows movies films cinema that kind of a thing um and again it kind of became this we just bought our dream home we just moved to nashville and but I still feel like my band is a failure. And, um, but, and so there's just feeling of like, no matter what I do, no matter what I accomplish, I, I was feeling like I wasn't enough. Like I just shared my dream was to get signed to tooth and nail and tour. I did it. You know what I mean? And yet I still wasn't happy. Um, I want to move to Nashville and buy a house and make a living doing music. I did it. And I still wasn't happy. Um, so all of that is kind of, having a a head-on collision inside of me and i'm struggling with insomnia i'm having panic attacks and really thinking like i don't know if i fully prescribe to or buy into this like this idea anymore um like if if this version of like religion or spirituality that that 
is kind of the mainstream thing that you're selling me is cool with like killing people um, who don't look like you is cool with systemic racism. Uh, well then fuck this and I want no part of it. Um, I, I was just really angry. Um, and so, you know, I think the other part too, like the second verse is really, I mean, uh, I'm a kid who I, I read the book love wins by Rob Bell and it changed my life. And I think there are a lot of people who would think I'm a heretic for that. And good for you. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I write songs because it's how I get through life. I don't really, I don't really care what people think for the most part. Um, but this idea that um, I think I was really like sticking a middle finger up at like the this issue with religion in general, like kind of the capital R of religion, but then also very specifically Christianity, which is this idea that God is all loving and you were, you were like beautifully and wonderfully knit in your mother's womb. Also welcome to planet earth and you're going to go to hell forever because you're a piece of shit. I'm like, hold on a second, man. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not a parent. I don't have kids yet. And yet I, I can't imagine there is anything my child could do. I'm talking anything like go, you know, go, being in prison for the most atrocious crimes. I don't think there's anything my child could do that would ever make me fully give up on them permanently, let alone like for the rest of time, forever and ever. And so I just, I, I think the the machinery of religion and the way that um, it, it it it's just sort of dissolved into a fear mongering experience where it's like, do you believe what I believe? Okay, well, if you don't, you're gonna go into this fiery furnace forever. God loves you, but like, it, it, unless you follow the rules, then you're you're done. And I just thought, so that's really what it's about is like behaving correctly so that we can avoid this thing that we're afraid of. I thought that love casted out all fear. I thought that God was love. And I thought that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world would know that it is loved uh, through him. So, um, yeah, man, I mean, I, it's a, it's a, there's a lot of anger in there, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. um, it's a, I would say it's like almost a, like a, a punk rock Franciscan sort of energy that I'm bringing to it. I, I think it was Fran, uh, Richard Rohr who said, um, he was quoting, I think, St. Bonaventure, who was a Scottish, Scottish monk, I believe. And he said, perhaps Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about humanity. It didn't need to be changed. Maybe he came to change our mind about God. And that really opened up a lot of doors for me because I see, uh, I see, in, uh, you know, expressed in Buddha, I see expressed in Taoism, and I see it expressed in the crucifixion, a way to respond to the rent we all pay as human beings, which is pain. Uh, and to me, in, in, um, in Christ in particular, I see surrender. Uh, I, I don't see... Um, this sort of like misogynistic, rich, white guy. 
um, that that uh, is peddled uh, throughout a lot of the um, the congregations in the South in, in the United States. Yeah. Um, I think I've made myself pretty clear on that one. Yeah. 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 There's definitely like, it it feels confessional too, or there's that line, like the things I don't admit to my Christian or religious friends, like it's very confessional in that way. And yeah, Yeah. as like a parent, like that notion of like, you're born sinful. See my daughter who's, she's almost nine and she's like, the most like bleeding heart, like why don't people just help homeless people? Like, why do people have to live on the street? It's like, it's like, there's nothing bad about her. She isn't born bad or simple. Right. Yeah. 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 I think we have more to learn from children than they have to learn from us. Yeah. It seems to me they're, you know, they're, oh man, I wish I could remember the 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 quote but i think it was like some oprah was sharing about like this little boy uh was at home and his parents just came back from the hospital um and with his little sister and like he i think they had like a baby monitor in the room or something and he went into the room and she like had just woken up and he's like hey um tell me everything that you know about where where you came from because i'm starting to forget (laughs) and i think that there's just so much magic to that you know like i don't know that i'm that we're here to to have it all figured out i think it's a gift and um let's be kind to each other and the most honest thing that i can say is i have no idea what happens on the other side of of the river but but i do think being kind and caring um, and doing the very best that you can to recover from the from the damage that you've done, recover from the damage that's been done to you, teach others to do the same, um, and walk in love and truth and forgiveness. I that is um, that's a hill I'm willing to die on. Where'd the uh, concept for the album artwork come from? That was our friend, Anna Nunez. She, she did uh, the album artwork for when we were in love as well. And her and her husband, Jesus just became very close friends of ours. And we uh, just love and adore them there. Jesus, her husband is just one of the funniest human beings you'll yeah. ever, ever meet. Like I can't, I feel like anytime I'm in a room with him, I I'm hyperventilating. I'm laughing so hard. <laughs> Um, and, but she, her art really speaks to me and, um, the painting, uh, of memory unfixed is it, it's in our house. It's in our, it's in our living room. And, um, when we, we had had the record finished, the record was probably done in early 2021. Um, and, I we couldn't figure out what it should be called. We couldn't figure out what the the art or the concept should be and then i just saw anna post something about it online and i was like memory and fixed shoot dude that's it 
and that's the album cover. Yeah. So I reached out to her and we bought the we bought it and she said we could use it as the album artwork. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Well the album is out September fifteenth. What's the rest of the year look like for the band? Man, we we head out today, my friend. We're going on tour um all of August. We come back catch our breath in september and get ready for tour with king's kaleidoscope this fall and um i'm really really excited about that i hear nothing but great things about them i've seen them live um i'm a i'm a massive fan so i'm i'm honored to to be sharing the stage with them Thanks for listening to As the Story Grows. Our intro music was written and composed by Jeremy Hunt. The As the Story Grows theme is by Bob Nana. If you like what you hear, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a rating and review. If you'd like to support the show financially, you can join us at patreon.com slash as the story grows. Be a part of our community and join the ongoing conversation over on Discord. If you enjoy this episode, share it on social media with your friends. Much appreciated, and thanks for listening. I never felt so young and alive as when I'm diving into a tomb. And now I'm learning as I listen.